LinkedIn presents. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, we'll take little tangents, but we'll just treat this like a normal conversation. Okay, and it's taped, right? It's yes. Okay, perfect. Yep, so so if I taped. screw up, you can like, yeah. Okay, it, exactly. I'm sure you're not like screw my up. cow comes in. My cat comes in, being like, <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping it was a cow though. You said cow, so I'm like, oh, I do cow? have. A, wait, I have a client that actually had a cow live in their house. I do. Oh, what? How do yes. you have a cow live in the house? It's a rescue. It's an ant, like a national animal sanctuary, and yeah. it's the founder nurse this cow back to health and brought it into wow. her home. <laughs> I, I, I now all I'm envisioning is like this cow just like slowly meandering behind you, <laughs> like a Chick Fil A commercial or something. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Entrepreneur Struggle, where each week we talk to founders and freelancers about their journey creating and scaling up their business. My name is Chris Colbert, and I'm the founder and CEO of the media company DCP Entertainment, as well as the video and podcast recording space Podstream Studios Times Square. This season, we are part of the LinkedIn Podcast Academy. So make sure to check out our show notes for information about our weekly newsletter and live events. In this conversation, I'm talking to Megan Brown Bennett. Megan is the owner of Light Years Ahead, a public relations company that caters to brands and products. She has weathered some tough moments, but has used them to find stability for her business. As we talked, we discussed the importance of relationship building, why she loves working with small businesses, as well as how she deals with constant rejection and how she can sometimes turn that rejection into success. And I'm sorry, but there were no cows that made an appearance during this episode. Being in PR is like a really interesting job. So I always am curious, like what leads people to want to get into PR? It's such a, yeah, it's such a unique personality trait. I feel like that to become a PR agent. Yeah. And when I first like got into the field, I was positive that I wanted to do celebrity PR. And so uh, I don't know, I was just interested in the entertainment industry. And when I was in college, I got some internships working for celebrity PR firms. And after a whole summer of doing that, and it was a pretty small firm, but they worked with some A-list celebrities, I realized that that was just not for me, that it's, 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 it takes a certain personality to want to work with celebrity personalities. And for me, I realized I was more interested in working with entrepreneurs and services and products than actual, you know, people in movies and things like that. And so what happened is, is I worked in celebrity PR and then I graduated from college and my second job out of college, I got an interview with this lady who became my mentor. She had me up and she hired me and I started to work on two personal care products to start and I'd, I'd never done that type of PR. And within a couple of weeks, I was like, okay, I love this. I'm a product junkie. I believe in what I'm selling. I'm getting this to the media. And once I saw my first couple of PR hits come into fruition with the media, I was addicted. It was like such a high to see, you know, consumer brands get this coverage in an authentic way through PR. Oh, that's, that's how I got into it. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, the celebrity side obviously has its crazy personalities, public facing personalities at that. But I have a friend who works in the fashion and beauty space. And like there could be some big personalities there, too. Obviously not as public facing. But yeah, are there some interesting folks you sometimes have to work with on that end? Yes, absolutely. And like working with entrepreneurs, it can be very interesting. Some of them you know, are all about the messaging of the brand. Other of them, like other other entrepreneurs can be 
more self-involved, more narcissistic and, you know, all about them rather than the brand and they want to be promoted. And we always say, well, that's great, but what are we trying to sell here, you or your your brand? And if your story is not that interesting, then we have to spin an interesting story behind your product instead. Yes, we've dealt with all sorts of entrepreneurs, uh, mostly incredible ones that we love. And a lot of our clients we've had for like one client I've had since 2005. Wow. Um, they stay with us. But then, you know, we have those entrepreneurs that trickle in here and there for little stints. And there's been a few times when we're like, okay, this is not a good fit for us. <laughs> you know, we have to move on because emotionally it's not healthy. So, yeah, we've had both. Well, and I'm sure there's always, well, I won't say always, but many times there might be a confusion of what you do in PR versus what marketing does. I know when yes. I first started my business, I didn't necessarily know, you know, that that extreme difference in terms of what it can do for your company and actually what the tactics are. So can you explain a little bit of what that difference is with PR versus yes. marketing? And I mean, that's a really good question because most people have no idea. Even my father, I worked in the business for like 10 years and I tried to explain it to him and he still is like, so it's a paid ad, right? And I said, <laughs> no, you don't. Un and now he gets it because I've gotten press for a national foundation that he's a part of and he's seen, you know, the donations come into fruition. So he gets it now. So basically what public relations is. So there's advertising, which is where you pay for a campaign. Um, say you might pay $5,000 for one ad in an outlet. Like, I don't know. I don't know how much People Magazine would charge. I'm sure it's going to be way more than that. But let's just say that you want it, You want your brand to be featured in a magazine and you pay a flat fee of $5,000 for one highlight. Well, that might not drive sales. Um, consumers are going to look at that and they're going to say, okay, that was paid for. Either I want to buy it or I don't. What PR is, it's completely different because what we're doing is, is we're spinning a story around your brand Perfect. and then or a personality and then we pitch it to the editors and producers in the media at the Today Show, BuzzFeed, Pop Sugar, People Magazine. We're pitching the editors with the story and asking them, hey, can you try this product for X, Y, and Z? We think that it would make a really good story. And then we reach out and we pitch the product and get them samples or get them an interview with our client. And then they cover it in a way that's not paid. So we're not paying for that coverage. You pay a PR agency, a retainer every month. But mm -hmm. we get multiple placements rather than one paid ad. We're getting editorial placements where an editor or a producer says, hey, I personally like this product and here's why. And to consumers, it's much more authentic and consumers want to buy a product when they read an editorial story rather than a paid ad because they know mm -hmm. that it's coming from somebody and it's true. They're not doing it because they're getting paid. And so that's the challenge and the excitement. And why we do PR is because we want to get those third-party endorsements from the media that counts, um, but it's authentic. Yeah. So I hope that makes sense, but that's kind of the difference. No, thank you for that. I really think that helps to frame things. And yeah. I think, you know, you should look at doing both if you're a business and like wanting to, yes. you know, put yourself out there, get your brand out there. But especially if there are big things that are happening with the company, PR can really help to tell that story, as you were saying. But I've, I've always noticed in working with PR, you know, public relations companies that 
there's a lot of outreach that you all have to do. Like you're, you're really, I guess, as people would say, spraying and praying. Uh, now yes. I'm sure there's a lot, you know, a lot more to it than just you throw just spraying the spaghetti and... <laughs> on the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> like I'm sure there's a lot more strategy than the way I'm laying it out. But at the same time, you are just putting out a lot of feelers, which also means there's probably a lot of rejection. Like how do you, how do you work with that? And how do you set expectations with your clients? Yeah. I mean, I get rejected every day, sometimes multiple times a day. And I've been doing this for 20 21 years and I'm totally used to it. At this point, I mean, sometimes I got I get responses and it's like, why would you ever pitch me this product? Or why are you contacting me? Or do you think I find this interesting? And I just, you know, fall on my sword. I say, oh, I'm so sorry. And I move on. Or sometimes I just laugh and I send it to the rest of my team. And I'm like, oh my gosh, look at this response today. Somebody said, F you, you know, and rather than taking it personally. Now, once in a while, I can take that rejection and that feedback. And if they're giving me something that I can use, then I can change my pitch based on that feedback and say, all right, this angle's not working. I got to try something else. Um, so and, and with the clients, I mean, they understand that there is rejection. But I think that in their minds, a lot of them feel like, you know, why aren't we in this magazine? How come we're not in here? And sometimes I have to say to them, right. you know, it takes me getting rejected multiple times before they're even interested. Um, and, and and I have to explain sometimes to the clients that I never take no for an answer. But once in a while, if a, if a publication says no, then it's just not the right fit at that point. And we have to move on and try somebody else, try something different. Another thing I do with my media outreach is if I get rejected by one media person from one outlet, I reach out to somebody else from that outlet instead, you know, some, uh. someone might say no, but another person might say yes. And it happens all the time. Or like in my outreach, I might get rejected for a deodorant brand. And then I turn around and say, hey, I understand you're not interested in that, but we're representing a great new peel off face mask that would work for X, Y, and Z story. Do you want to try it? And then that opens doors because a lot of the times I can turn my rejection into success by pitching another brand when they say no to one brand. Well, so, especially because like you said, it, depending on what that feedback is, that now helps you to understand, okay, what is it that they really want to focus on? Yeah, exactly. Is there, especially because like, you're not in control of what these people are going to write and if they're no. going to pick up a story, is there an anxiousness too of like, not only seeing if you can get the placement, but also that your clients are going to stick with you. Because again, you're not fully in control over what happens uh, yes. you know, in, the, in the press. There is. There's always an anxiousness. You know, every month we we send out an end of the month report where we get these placements. And sometimes there might be one client that only has three or four hits from that month. And it is stressful because we have to explain to them, you know, well, your brand is better for gifting season. And right now, now it's a month that you know, they're not doing those kind of stories or, hey, we have a bunch of samples going out this month. Next month is when you're going to get the PR highlight. So it's just us. Yes, there's always that like anxiety of, oh, gosh, you know, what if they drop us because we haven't had enough placements. But I mentally tell myself if they drop us, we will replace them. And then I feel like everybody is replaceable when it comes to public relations. You can't listen. I've had clients that I've had for years and I'm so connected with them. But a lot of the times what happens is, is they'll leave a company or the company will get bought out by a private equity firm and then they'll go to another company as a new marketing director and they'll Dang. call us and hire us again. So all these relationships that we build, they last. You know, we've worked with multiple people for years on that have gone from company to company and we still work with them on their fourth brand that they're on, you know? <laughs> 
That makes and a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah, the same thing happens. Well, I guess we're technically in media as well. Uh, yeah. You know, but, you know, obviously you're talking business and, and fashion, but yeah, I'm sorry, beauty and fashion. Um, but yeah, obviously the same thing happens with us where we might have a great relationship with somebody and now they're at a bigger company a year from now, or maybe it's a smaller company, but they're looking for, you know, people that do what we do. And, you know, those relationships continue on. And I think relationships aren't just with the companies, they're with the individuals. And it sounds like that's very much what you do as well as develop yes. those personal relationships along the way. And that's that's it. You hit the nail on the head. It's those personal relationships with our clients. We make them all feel like there are only one. Um, a lot of PR firms have a really bad reputation because they're huge agencies. They have account managers. They, you know, you hire them and then they pass you on to one person who barely reaches out to you. You don't know what's going on. Nobody else in the company knows anything about your brand. And that's not how we work. We're so small and we're female. We're all women. And there's four of us and we all are in the loop on every client. And so we all pitch the client and we take turns each week so that nobody gets burned out and that the media isn't like, oh, my gosh, it's her again. You know? <laughs> He's pitching the same deodorant again this week. So we, we take turns and let them get annoyed with somebody else from the company, you know? <laughs> I like it. Well, and. I don't know if this ever happens, but yeah, do do you sometimes like send out a product and try to get someone to review it and their review actually isn't positive? Maybe it's a negative review. Yes. What, what, how do you then go back to the client? Because it's like, well, I told you that this was going to be a good opportunity and now actually maybe it backfired on us. Well, we're always straightforward with them in the beginning that we say we do not have control on how the media is going to perceive your brand or how they're going to, you know, discuss it. But I would say that when we get negative and, and uh, most of the time, if the editor is going to do something negative, they'll write us back and say, hey, I did not have a good experience with this brand. So I'd rather not cover it at all. And we're like, mm-hmm. that's fine. But when they do do something negative, you know, we send that to the client and we say, listen, instead of, you know, being offended by this, why don't you take this as some criticism, positive feedback that you can do to improve your brand. And that's the way that we take it. If they're going to be negative about it, rather than holding a grudge, let's try to make our product better or let's find ways around it so that we can fix this problem. Because obviously, if somebody's once in a while, people have a a personal agenda and they say something negative. And unfortunately, you know, you just have to let that move on and Mm -hmm. you replace it with positive media. And that's really the best way to do it is to get more positive placements coming out. We've had people hire us in the past where maybe like in the medical field where they've had something happen or a lawsuit or something that wasn't was unjust and they have maybe some negative PR. Mm -hmm. And our job then is to get them really good public relations so that their SEO like so that it bumps to the top and pushes the negative reviews down. So, you know, we've worked with it all and, and all sorts of clients, not just beauty and fashion. We work with technology, wellness, food, wine, all sorts of stuff we do. We really can promote anything that's B to C as long as there's an interesting hook. And if there's not an interesting hook, we can usually find a way to create one. I like that. Yeah. Well, and, and I really should have started here when we when we began this conversation. But you know, you're you're an entrepreneur, and so there was an interesting journey. It seems like you know getting to that that point. Um, so can you talk about kind of yeah, what was that trajectory that now led you you know leading this company? Yeah. So I started back in. 2002 um, with my mentor. Her name is Betty Light. And, you know, she hired me and I worked out of her home for eight years. And she really taught me everything that I needed to know uh, for the business. When she hired me, she said, you should be paying me for all the stuff you're going to learn. It's like you're getting an education. And I did. I didn't go to business school. You know, I got my 
degree in theater. Um, and I took a bunch of business classes, but I thought I wanted to do entertainment. So that's mm-hmm. why I went into that. And then I ended up doing nothing um, with that. But after working with her for a couple of months, I just, I loved my job. I loved getting up and going to work every day. I was passionate about it. And it was really her and me. And then we had somebody else that worked for us. But within a few years, she was having me do a lot on my own, pretty much helping to run the company. And so after about eight years, I moved, I lived in Los Angeles and I moved to Kansas City because that's where I'm from. And I wanted to start, we were, I was getting married and I wanted to start a family and the cost of living is great here and my family's here. And so I said to her, I said, I really want to move back to Kansas City. Can I keep my job and work out of a home office in Kansas City? And she said, yes, because at that point we were indispensable to each other. We were each other's like right and left brain. (laughs) So I moved and worked in Kansas City. And then three and a half years ago, I and another girl who worked with us, we did a buyout and we bought the company from the previous owner because she was ready to sort of retire and move on. And so it was a very, I knew that that's what I wanted to do, regardless of who I worked for. I knew that I eventually wanted to start my own PR form or carry this forward. And since we already had all the connections and I loved who I worked for, it was very seamless. And we ended up taking over and there was really no hiccups because everything that I had done before, I continued to do. And all of the financial stuff that you know she handled, my business partner handles. So it works really well. We took over the agency and now we're doing it all. Um, so yeah, it's been a good transition. Were there any challenges like moving to Kansas and working with people who are probably based on the coast? Um, I would say if anything, it was easier for me just because when I was in LA, I had to work later and everything was behind. So you start later, you work later. And now I feel yeah. like, I guess the only challenge is, is that the people on the West Coast, you know, they're a couple hours behind. So when I start pitching, you can't do anything till later. But no, it actually, rather than being challenging, it was more advantageous because that once I was in the Midwest, she was on the West Coast. My business partner was on the East Coast. And wow, then we had perfect. somebody in Texas. We're all over the country now. So we have our fingers on the pulse of the whole United States. And interestingly enough, when COVID hit, We were already working from home and doing all that for years. So that didn't affect our culture at all. I mean, that was what we'd already been doing was working from home and doing Zoom calls and all that. I guess the only thing that really changed was more like uh, Zoom calls with video rather than just conference calls on freeconferencecall.com, you know, (laughs) because now once people, at least the clients that we worked with once COVID hit, then they really wanted to see everybody face to face and make sure that everybody was doing what they're doing. And, you know, so. Well, I know you said, you know, COVID didn't really affect much for you. And if anything, you kind of were operating, at least in the remote, you know, kind of way uh, leading up to that. But when it comes to the clients that you're working with, I'm sure that budgets may have changed or priorities may have changed. And, you know, maybe you lost clients or things may have slowed down. Like what kind of pivots did you have to do, whether in COVID or just in general, since you've taken over the business? Yeah, I mean, and that was challenging because that was pretty soon after we took the business over. COVID hits and we're just like, Oh my gosh. And immediately within a couple of weeks, all of our clients are reaching out to us saying, you know what, either we're going to have to lower the fee or we're going to have to stop right now. You know, none of our products are selling. We have to cut back all marketing expenses. So, you know, we thought about it. We were stressed out and we're like, oh my gosh, this is happening at once. And we kind of changed our business model and decided to cut down the retainer fee um, to all of our current clients and sort of knocked it off a little bit so mm-hmm. that they felt like they were getting a good deal. And, um, 
it kind of got them through the COVID, the hard months. And in the meantime, we reached out like crazy to hundreds. I'm talking hundreds of brands on Instagram. And we cold called them and offered them these three month campaigns at a reduced rate. And we got so much business. It was the most business we'd ever had in the time I'd worked there. We made more money that year than we ever had. Because even though we had, you know, less retainer fees, we had so many clients that we were just slammed. And it kind of as stressful as it was having that amount, it wasn't stressful because if we lost one account, it wasn't the end of our business. It was Uh like, okay, you know, they're paying a little bit less than we charged before, but we still have, you know, 19 other accounts. So we just busted our butts and worked super hard and, you know, put that retainer back. And that is what really helped us to keep the business going. And so whenever there's hard times now in the economy, we kind of know how to scale back and market ourselves. Obviously, we are a lot more affordable than huge firms anyways. But during Mm -hmm. this time, we had to even make it more, you know. Um, So that's how we did it. But it was scary. It was really scary. And I said to my business partner, I said, we can't let this freak us out. Mm-hmm. You like we can we can make this happen for ourselves if we go out there and we don't take no for an answer and we just cold call as many companies as we can. Eventually, we're going to get some. And we did. I mean, it's sort of like dating. It's like the more people you go out with, you're finally <laughs> going to find the right person. And so we did. I mean, it, you just like like we said, we throw spaghetti at the wall and a couple of them stuck and we got all these new clients from it. And we still do that method when we need to to get new business. Well, that's the beauty of it. You were able to test that during a stressful time. And now, you know, you can fall back on that if you need to. Yes. Uh, but you did mention like that did bring on you know, some additional stress and just having so many different clients that you're now working with. And, uh, you know, looking at your LinkedIn profile, I also noticed that you mentioned that you basically work 24 seven to be able to get your clients what they need, get the kind of coverage. Yes. Like, then how do you segment out time for yourself within all that? I do it. I find a way. It's like, you know, I'll get up in the morning and immediately check stuff, take my kids to school. I I try to have a really good work-life balance. And so when my kids are home, I try to be with them. But like if they're doing other things, I go, I check my work emails. I I pretty much check my emails all day and all night. Uh, Maybe I could have a better balance. But (laughs) for me, I this is going to sound crazy, but this is my hobby too. I don't really have a lot of hobbies and I love what I do. So for me, checking my work emails and responding to stuff like it's fun for me. And sometimes my husband's like, okay, you know, it's nine o'clock at night. Why are you responding to stuff? And I said, because if I do it now, I won't have to do it tomorrow. (laughs) It's like a laundry list that keeps going and you clear it off. And then, and I always tell my business partner when she's stressed out, I said, remember, it's just like doing your laundry. You get it done, but then it just keeps piling back up again. And it's okay to have laundry in the machine at all times because that's just, that's life, you know? But I never I, get my I, mailbox down to zero. No, you just can't. And But I do I do take time for my kids. I, I feel like I do have a lot of free time because I'm working at such weird hours too, to, gotcha. you know, and working from home has been really great because that helps me to get stuff done whenever I want to rather than, you know, I'm stuck in an office all day and then I race home and I've got to do stuff with my kids and I got to you know, get everything done so I can go back to the office the next day and then, you know, cram it again. <laughs> yeah. And luckily I can just walk to my office within a few steps and I'm here and I can do it and then I'm not stressed out about it. And I don't know. It it definitely takes a certain personality to do what I do. No, that's true. But I, you know, I think it also takes a certain personality that likes working from home. I'm like you, I like that as well because now I'm like, I'm not wasting time on my commute that I can now either be spending time on myself or spending time on the business. 
Um, but I have noticed, you know, I'm much like you, I'm constantly checking email and things. I've literally had to like put settings on my phone to not let me check certain emails at certain times. So I'm not, you know, at midnight checking my phone because I'll sometimes tell myself not to look at my email and like, I'll actively tell myself that my finger just automatically does it on my phone. Like it's such a subconscious thing at this point. It is. Um, It's It's like you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like in your sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I will say so true. when I go to bed at night, I do. I put my phone on silent and I I turn it like down around nine something. And then I before I go to bed, I do not read my phone. I read my Kindle in the dark because when I read books, it's sort of it's less stimulating than looking at my emails and be like, oh, I have to do this, this, this and this. Yep. If I'm reading a book that's kind of blah, it puts me right to sleep. And if I wake up in the middle of the night. I don't look at my phone. I go right back. If I can't sleep, I go right back to the Kindle again. Because it's like, you don't want to stimulate your brain too much. No. Nope. Uh, because if you don't sleep, then you're just going to be no good the next day anyways. So Yeah, I've learned a, hard, a lot of hard lessons there. But I do something <laughs> similar to you. of just like, okay, here's my cutoff time. I'm not allowed to look at my phone. I'm not allowed to look at it again until this time in the morning. Yes. Uh, and it took a lot of training. It didn't happen overnight. It does. I mean, I, like I said, I had to have a Kindle just to get me to stop. Because I had to have something that I can, <laughs> you know... Yeah, your fingers still had to do this scrolling action on something. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, you fo- you mentioned before that you focus a lot on small businesses. Is that for a particular reason? We just like to help people that are coming into something and like it, it just, that's just who we target because that's challenging and fun for us. We like to take people that have never had PR or building their own brand and just blow it up. But that's not always the case. Like we've worked with brands that are very old and they need to make a comeback like Crystal Deodorant. It's been around since the 70s, but people forgot about it. And and then they hired us like seven years ago to kind of bring it back and revive it. So we've worked with brands like that as well, like Kiss My Face and Yes Too, which used to be Yes to Carrots. And so we're sort of revitalizing those brands. So we don't just work with new brands. And we also work with people. We work with experts as well. Gotcha. Not very many. We've done a few celebrities here and there, like uh, for campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also work with nonprofits, which has been for me the most rewarding thing that we've done just because to see these nonprofits make money and help them grow. It's just so rewarding. It's different than like seeing a brand make a million dollars in sales so that they mm-hmm. can make their own money. It's, it's it's something different in it. But we do both. But I would say that the nonprofits are easier to get press for because there's no ulterior motive. Got it. Well, and like you were saying, I'm sure that satisfaction that you get out of it is, is like you said, less about money and more about the impact that you're helping this yes. impact like company be able to make. Yes, absolutely. That's it. In like the work that you do, I know one of the most valuable, I guess, resources that you have is your Rolodex. And I guess Rolodex is probably the wrong word, you know, in today's day and age. So your contacts, your, your, your network is one of the biggest things that is an asset to you. Like, how do you protect that while also like, you know, you're working with multiple people on your team and probably sometimes outside of your team. Like, how do you protect that, you know, major resource for yourself? You mean my network of media contacts? Uh Well, as far as our agency, we, I have a bunch of contacts from the years that I always hit up when I need, you know, from different media outlets. But we actually subscribe to a program. It's called Muckrack. And it's sort of like it's one of the top ones in the PR industry. So we pay a monthly fee or a yearly fee and we get access to all the media contacts that way. And that is like proprietary to us. And we just don't share that with our contacts. So whenever we're doing any of our outreach we, you know, have a spreadsheet that lists where the samples go, but we do all the interaction between us and the media. So they're not involved. So it, it really, it kind of works out. It doesn't, 
Uh, and then, and if there's a, I'm not that proprietary about it because, I mean, they can look them up themselves, but yeah. they, most of our clients don't want to do the work. They don't want those yeah. contacts because they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. No, exactly. Yeah. And, and also like you develop relationships with these folks. So again, yeah. like we we're talking about that, you know, that interpersonal relationship that you develop over time. You know, I think that's, that's really probably the, the real sauce to, to what is. you do. Those are the people that always cover stuff for me. Or if like I have a new client and I want to get something covered, then I reach out to those OGs first and ask them if they can do something and then, you know, then go to the, to the rest. Nice. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned a little bit before just some of the things that you really enjoyed, obviously with the um, nonprofits, but I'm sure you like, you know, there's lots of things that are there for you to celebrate right now. I want to, you know, give us some opportunity to talk about, you know, what are some of the things that are going well? What are some of the big wins going on for you right now um, in the company? Yeah, um, I would say that, I mean, a, a really big win for us is that several of our clients we have had for years. And I think that that speaks to how well that we are doing, that we can keep somebody retained for so long. This is kind of a fickle industry. And okay. um, I would say that as far as like successes go, I mean, one thing that most of our clients that hire us, they're entrepreneurs and their goal is to drive sales. Their goal is to become a well-known brand household name. And their main goal usually is to sell their company to a bigger company or a private equity firm and make millions of dollars. We have done that with multiple brands. Actually, I would say 50% of the clients that we've worked with end up going to selling their products to PE firms. And we've worked with private equity firms through that. And I think that that success that we've made it through the sale with the new PE firm, with the new marketing team, um, that happens a lot. As far as success in PR, the clients, their main goal is they want to make money. They want to drive sales. But we always tell them that's not the goal of PR. The goal of PR is to build brand awareness so that when people hear about your product, they're like, it's basically like Kleenex. They know exactly what your product is. Oh, I saw that on the Today Show. And fortunately for us, it has driven sales to have PR sometimes. Um, an example is there was a huge success story with us a couple of years ago with a company called KC Cattle Company, and it's a Wagyu beef uh-huh. Um, company out of Kansas City. It's owned by a veteran. And we pitched the heck out of this brand, got them in the New York Times in a review, Today Show, Fox and Friends. But what really did it for them was in, in the summer, they had these hot dogs that they were premiering. They were Wagyu beef hot dogs. And I got a bite with food and wine. I said, send them the hot dogs right away. They sent the hot dogs. Unfortunately, the hot dogs did not make it to the editors. Oh, they no. sat in the mail room and they spoil. Oh, oh. And the client, I know. And the client was like, "Should I really send another one? This is so expensive." And I said, "It's food and wine. You have to do it." They sent the hot dogs. A couple weeks later, the client calls me and he's like, "Something's happening. We're getting thousands and thousands of dollars worth of sales right now." I just what? they just keep coming in and he's sending me screenshots and sure enough, the food and wine story came out and they were voted the best beef hot dog and they made oh, wow. a quarter million dollars in sales from this one editorial placement that we did. So that was like direct ROI. And and that company, we've worked with them. We do projects with them seasonally. And we worked with them a few months ago. And again, we immediately got saw sales from one placement that we did with them. So it really depends on what the product is. Um, You know, some brands, you might get them on the Today Show and they don't see anything from it. They get no sales. But then we have like a nonprofit that we work with called The Gentle Barn and it's national. 
And we started with them a year ago last October, and it was just supposed to be a one project. And we had so much success with them. We got them on Good Morning America, the Today Show, and they got hundreds of thousands of dollars in donations from PR. And so we're still working with them. And that to me is really, um, that's really exciting when that happens, when you actually see like say, you know, money come in from it. The brand yeah. awareness is all that we're expecting, but that's just like icing on the cake. Um, and, you know, the, these these high profile PR placements are very hard earned. It's not like we just send something out and we get coverage. We have to follow up and follow up and follow up until, you know, basically stock the media until they cover the brand. And so for me, I feel like we've had so much success in the past couple of years just getting national coverage. And and some of these brands have seen ROI from PR. And so to me, I consider that a success. I also consider it a success when a friend of mine is like, I saw that brand or I know that <laughs> brand. And I'm like, yep. yeah, I represent it. <laughs> oh, that, that feels so good. It feels but yeah, so that, good. But that tangible you know, piece is also yeah. nice too, to be able to yeah. say, you know, we raised X amount for someone or we helped someone get to yes. a sale like that. That's got to be incredible too. Because you, yeah. you literally help somebody, you know, in their life mission, in their career mission, and and maybe even change the trajectory of, you know, what their life is going to be now. Yeah. I mean, we started with this brand, I think in 2017. I don't know if you've heard of them, but it's called Ballsy Brands. And their big product was ball wash. <laughs> sure you've seen it. I mean, there were so many ads on Facebook about it. It was I was just all- about to say, I think I saw some on social media. So we started the PR in 2017 and they sold to a big company now. And the, the owner isn't even, you know, he's not he doesn't own it anymore. But that was an example of a company that we started with that was about, you know, washing your nether parts and got them so much press that they eventually sold to a bigger company that owns a bunch of brands and, you know, they're owned by somebody else now. So that happens a lot with us. Nice. So, well, speaking of social media, like how can people follow you, follow, uh, you know, follow the company and yeah. also, you know, be able to, you know, what's your website? That way, if people are needing, you know, your services, you know, they're yeah. able to find you and reach out. I would say the easiest way to get in touch is just to email me directly at Megan, M-E-G-A-N, at lightyearsahead.com. And then um, our website is lightyearsahead.com. And Instagram is... L-Y-A-P-R, or you can reach out personally at M-B Bennett PR. Um, those are our Instagram handle- handles. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you. And I really appreciate you being here and uh, sharing, yeah. you know, sharing all this wisdom. I also, you know, really think it was very clarifying for people to understand that difference between PR and marketing. Both are, are important, but I think, you know, what you all are doing is really special and congrats on the success that you all are having, the success that you've helped others have. Um, I really, thank you know, you. We, we, we need you, you know, for us yes. as small business owners. Yeah, I think they're all really important that they all go hand in hand, advertising, social media and PR. But if you have a really small budget, PR is the best bang for your buck because you're going to get multiple coverage rather than just one thing. Thank you, Megan Brown Bennett, for joining us on Entrepreneur Struggle. And thank you for listening. You can learn more about Megan's work by going to our show notes, which is also where you can get more information on how to stay up to date on everything Entrepreneur Struggle. Soon we'll be doing monthly live events, so make sure you're following me on LinkedIn to learn more. Thank you to my producers, Heather Johnson, Brittany Temple, and Mike Dubose. Thank you for the support from the LinkedIn Podcast Academy. And until next episode, stay safe and healthy because the struggle is real. Mm